and we're back. We are back. Welcome back to the Soccer Shop Podcast. This is what, our eighth podcast now? Are you serious? Yeah. Eight? It's pretty crazy. Wild stuff. In some ways it feels like... It feels like our seventh almost. <laughs> no, it feels like we just started, but it doesn't at the same time. I hear that. That was deep. I know. You, so, come, you, you, you come to the Sock and Shop pod for... For philosophy, dicks. yeah. That's what it's about. Yeah. We should put the podcast under the philosophy section. On. We should. No more sports. No more sports. We're, we're so, this week in science. No, I'm kidding, <laughs> kidding. All right. So, we, we have a, a little bit of a different format for the podcast today. Instead of doing our, our normal our normal shtick, our uh, normal segments going all through, through a lot of different segments, a lot of different topics, we have a, a special interview this week. And... This is a monumental podcast for the Sock and Shelf Pod. It's the first guest we are having on the show. We interviewed him earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're going to, with our awesome anchor technology, we're yeah. going to incorporate the interview into, um, into the podcast. And Daniel, why don't you introduce our guest? Well, I'll get to that in a little bit, but first, I think we should jump in, I, jump into our, so I'll do a little roundup of what went on in sports this week, Okay. what some people may have missed, what some people probably saw, and then we'll jump into the interview with the one, the only, George Solomon, who I'll get to in a little bit. And stay tuned, because he is the real deal. The real deal. So, um, we were almost right about our master's pick. We were so close. Um, for those that don't know... The, the Masters our, happened. Our pro, not our producer, our stat guy, our Brendan. Stat guy, Brendan. We are not looking for a stat guy. We have found a stat guy, and he's here to stay. Um, and he wrote an article, quantitatively based, that um, Jordan Spieth would win the Masters. Jordan Spieth, correct? Yeah. Um, if you look um, on our Twitter and Facebook, you can find a link to the article. And based on, like, he did a, a Masters Eliminator where he eliminated different people based on past statistics and, like, no guy over 40 has won, whatever. And he came, it came down to Jordan Spieth based on all of these different things. We were so close. Spieth had an historic um, fourth, fourth round yeah. of golf. He shot a, what, eight under? It was uh, 64. Yeah, eight under. And he almost got it. Patrick Reed ended up winning. Um, shout out to Patrick Reed. Good for him. Congratulations to him. And had a great tournament. We have the custom of um, hot takes on the show. We do have the custom of hot so takes. So this is a little bit of a preview of a hot take. I say it's a lukewarm not, take. Not a preview. What's it's it a, called? It's a, An informal. Hot it's a take. microwave microwave take because it's like it's like a quick hot take. It's like a it's like a quick ten seconds in the market. Ten sec. Right. Boom. Okay. Pop in. Pop out. Start the timer. Okay. Go. Um, no, I can't perform <laughs> under that pressure. Um, so. I was watching Masters on Sunday. Nice, as was I. Jordan Spieth, unbelievable comeback, right? Yeah. Everyone was cheering for him. Hot take, even Patrick Reed wanted Jordan Spieth to win. I, I hot take your hot take and say that no, he did not want Jordan Spieth to win. And Daniel, that's why sock comes before sock and shelf. Wow. I, I have um, two, we- wor- two words, <laughs> monetary reward. The purse is eleven million dollars. I would imagine the number one guy. Okay, makes that's a, a lot really more. expensive purse. I, I imagine the number one guy makes up makes a lot more than number three guy. You know what was that stat we showed a couple weeks ago? How Jordan Spieth has had an awful season but made like a million dollars off of right. earnings. Well, he he had a lot of top ten finishes. Oh. But still, like you don't need a win to make a ton of money. 
Sure. It's pretty cool. Right. All right. That's it for golf right now. That's not our area of expertise, but it's still a lot of fun. I think our listeners are happy. We're moving yeah, on moving from on. golf. We're moving on from golf now. So um, let's get to something more up our alley. The Rookie of the Year competition between Donovan Mitchell and Ben Simmons. It's getting heated. Do you see the sweatshirt that uh, Mitchell wore? Yeah, that was awesome. Where he defined rookies like first-year player and Ben Simmons, who we, we, we know was out last year with an injury. And this is officially his second year, but his first year playing. So Donovan Mitchell is calling out whether he's a rookie or not, and Simmons responded that, if this is the only thing you got on me, I'm in pretty good shape. Daniel, do you think Ben Simmons should be considered a rookie? Yes. It's his first season. I don't care when you were drafted. I haven't thought about necessarily how I feel about this too much, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to take the other side for a second. So as a Browns fan... different horns up. As a Browns fan... I have seen many quarterbacks win games in our stadium, Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> Every week, Roethlisberger gets a uh, shout-out for the stat. That Listen to this, folks. Ben Roethlisberger has won more games in First Energy Stadium than any Brown starting quarterback. That means that Roethlisberger, in the one game he plays a year, has won more games there than any Browns quarterback. So, as I was saying... Um, one of the Browns' common mistakes is they always rush the quarterback in, right? They don't let him sit and study and learn the game. Right. Ben Simmons was in a NBA environment for a year. Right. He was in, I would assume, the film sessions. The, I, I, he was probably at a lot of games. He was like, that is a lot. Don't underestimate the impact of that. Well, definitely, but still, I think you can't, like... You can't take him away, take away his rookie status because he, like, he, you still gain a lot of experience from playing in the games. So I'd say he still is a rookie. That's why they count them, him as a rookie and guys in his situation like Blake Griffin was a few years ago as a rookie. But at the same time, like, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they gave it to Donovan Mitchell, not because of this rookie versus second-year player argument, but just because of Donovan Mitchell's production and what he's done for the Jazz. People didn't think the Jazz would be good this year. What are they, the four seed now in the West? They're great. They, they, have, they, beat um, the war- they beat the Warriors by 40 last night. That's, by that's 40. crazy. I know the Warriors don't have Steph Curry. But still. But still. It doesn't like, matter. People thought the Jazz would be nothing without Gordon Hayward. And look, Donovan Mitchell. And uh, Daniel, um, I wish, I don't think the NBA has done this, but I wish the NBA defined what these awards mean. Right. What Especially I mean by MVP. that. Right. But Rookie of the Year and MVP. Because Rookie of the Year, if it's, Best player, I would say Ben Simmons, 100%. He has a certain level of impact of the game, LeBron-esque. He has a certain um, level of deep shooting, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. um, but Donovan Mitchell has had this... They could have been a lottery team without someone with his presence. Presence, not, yeah, not only, it's not only talent that he has, he brings the swagger to the team. Right, and, and in my eyes, that's value, you know? And I think that, and, and that's value in my eyes. And like, I think it's very important too that um, in the MVP race, there's so many, um, there's such a big debate, LeBron, James Harden. Right. Just define what the award means. What is valuable? Is it best? Is it most important to the team? What does it mean? And that would really help people discuss it. I mean, I don't know if it would necessarily help people make a decision, but... 
I, I think that it would always help people discuss it and for the players to know, not necessarily to change their games for it, but like, like is James Harden more valuable to his team than the to the to the Rockets than LeBron is for the Cavs? Obviously, LeBron is still considered the best player in the NBA, so why doesn't he win the MVP every year? Right, Daniel, I don't know how you're gonna feel about this thought, but Shoot. what do you think of a Role Player of the Year award? Ooh, I like that. I think I, I think as opposed to uh, Sixth Man of yeah, the Year, huge difference. Sixth Man of the Year, in my eyes, it always goes to. A Lou Williams, okay? Someone that's coming off the bench. But playing big minutes. Scoring 20 points. I I think there are so many guys in the league that have such a strong impact on their team, Mm -hmm. even though they're not necessarily six-man. Do not ask me to give an example because I can't think of one on the spot. Luke Heron Goody. (laughs) Exactly. No. (laughs) Jamario Moon. Like, that's what I'm (laughs) Sean Livingston. Sean Livingston. It's Maybe. interesting. Like, are, are you saying like a starter who doesn't like get, gets like spot minutes? Not like as like not like, like the guy. Draymond has, Green is critical of the Warriors' success. Right, but he's like more of a considered like a star as opposed. Joe Ingles. There it is. Joe Ingles would win Role Player of the Year every single year. Um, I went silent for a minute because I got emotional. <laughs> Joe Ingles makes us emotional. People always used to compare my game to Joe Ingles. No one did. I, compare, <laughs> I, I make that comparison myself. When we were first starting to plan the pod, our initial like, hot take was that Joe Ingles was the top 10 player in the NBA. Okay, and he, he is. He probably I'll... is. I don't even know if it's a hot take. He, he, he hits two and a half threes a game. You know, doesn't turn He's the ball He's shooting 43% from the field. From the three-point line. Right. Dude's a beast. Like he just plays winning basketball. And he has this impact on his team. Right. He shot four shots in, the, in their 40-point win against Golden State. It just eight shows. assists, three turn- like, He had a good game. He's, a, he's an outstanding player. He doesn't get at, at all the due that, um, that, he need, that, he should, that he deserves. I agree. Daniel, we'll talk a lot more about the NBA with the playoffs coming up next week. Yeah. But why don't we touch on the NHL playoffs a little bit. I would argue that it's possibly the most exciting playoffs in professional sports. Do you consider March Madness? I do not. Professional sports. Okay, great. Professional sport, and I'm not excluding when you have a team in it. I mean, it's me watching the games because I remember when uh, my favorite team, the Rangers, were in the playoffs and they went to the Stanley Cup a few years back and they lost to the Kings, unfortunately. Um, I remember watching the games just being terrified every single time the puck was on our side of the ice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just... It's a constant range of emotions. There might be one or two goals a game. And I still, like, there's this up and down. And there's, a, there's this, even when, you're, when your team has the puck, say you're working around, you know, at the blue line, whatever. They're three seconds later, the other team could score. Like soccer, okay, you're working right, around. There's right. a big middle section of the field. Just the way the field is situated, there's a lot more time that you can, like, okay, okay, now we're on defense. In hockey, it can happen like that. Right. For all those listening, I just snapped. If you heard it, I'm not sure. That was very quiet. But Daniel. There we go. Here, I'm good at snapping. Oh, I crumbled. No, that was better. That was better. I crumbled under the pressure. That's okay. You can't do that in the NHL playoffs. Okay, I don't come to us for a snapping tutorial. That's we're, okay. We're not. I, I snap a little weirdly. Whatever. Daniel, I wanted to add something like to your soccer. Because I was thinking another thing going on right now is Champions League soccer. Right. And that is incredibly exciting. But I think you nailed it from the sense I'll tell you why soccer, you can't make the same argument. Because even in a counterattack in soccer, right. okay, there's still, your brain can adjust to it. You know, okay, we're dribbling, we're dribbling, through ball. Right. Hockey, it's boom, boom, 
it's like pass, pass, goal, pass, pass, goal, stolen, off, one move, goal. Right. And, and quick mistakes can happen. Like, uh, well, I'm gonna snap like that. And <laughs> and you know, like the the game could totally shift. It could take five seconds. Five seconds left in the game. It's still it's still possible. Just still a possibility that you could lose or right. Yeah. So that's those are my thoughts, and also hockey's an insanely exciting game. I, I one of my like big sports regrets that I don't follow hockey more. It's not because I, I love hockey. I used to play. It's not because. What position did he play there? I I would right I put I was more. My mindset was that of a center. Ooh, but, I actually see that. You know, point guard center it kind of lines yeah, up. Yeah. But I my I kind of like once I got really into basketball and baseball and and. and Football was all I was I was more into from a younger age, but basketball I kind of got more into as I got a little older. Once I got more into those, I kind of lost time to like really go in depth into hockey. Yeah, I get that. But Daniel, why don't yeah. you tell us the day when you realized you couldn't play in the NFL? Day of birth. birth. <laughs> day one. I came out. My dad says like you can play a lot of sports, but you're not going to be a big person, <laughs> and I'm not. So. That's so, 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 what you consider big. What are you, 5'8"? Five, yeah, 5'8", five, five, not that heavy. So like, I, can't, I can't exactly take any hits in, in, in a football game. <laughs> um, but back to hockey. That's why you like point guard basketball, because you like pass and run. Pass and like, run. Pass run and away. <laughs> Always Don't go to the paint. Back, three's, back that's why Steph Curry's your favorite player. Right. Get back on defense, you know, make the smart play. That's what it's about. Protect your body. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so back to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Most exciting playoffs in professional sports. Alan, give us your prediction from the West. Um, I just want to go with the great story. I don't know much about golf, um, hockey. hockey. We're just on golf. Don't know much about golf either. Um, but the Las Vegas Knights. Nice. I think it would be so cool to see them yeah. come out of the West. They had a great season. What, what do you think about expansion drafts? Do you feel like it's an unfair advantage to them? Like, look how good they are in their first season. So I wish I knew more about it because right. the most I know about expansion drafts is the Browns in 99 and they I'm guessing didn't do a great job we're still with it. suffering I don't even enough I, I'm sure it's different if it's, um, the, the There's teams a whole, weren't able to protect that many players it's kind of like a rule 5 draft type of thing right but also like you can take like a, like a guy on a top 2 line that's crazy you know you can take a starting goalie. Like that's yeah. like because you can't protect the team. The the existing teams couldn't protect so many players. How do you know how many players they were able to protect? I forgot, but there were. I, I didn't, like uh, for for our listeners, including myself, that don't know much about hockey. Um, what like NBA player could have gotten scooped up if we were comparing? Did the question make sense? Mm-hmm. I'd okay. say like like equivalent. Obviously, the teams are much bigger in. Um, like yeah, Lou Williams would have been taken. Lou Williams probably would have been taken, I'd say. I'd say a guy like Yusuf Nurkic would have been taken. John Henson. John Henson. I'd say a guy like... Um, Evan Fournier would be their starting two. Evan Fournier, yeah. I'd say a guy like... Um, who, who would run the one for them? Jeff Teague would probably run the one for them. So that's a really good team. I think, like, not now. I don't know if we're prepared for it, but I think we have to come up with an expansion team, like, with certain rules, like who we would pick. Who would be kept? Who would be? Who would we pick if we were making a thirty-first NBA franchise? That'd be really. Fun. I think. I think that could be a segment for next pod. Yeah. So stay tuned for next week. My I'm pick. Excited. My pick out of the Western. Can we Conference. just stop now and skip to next week. Yeah, that's not going to be a lot of fun. My pick in the Western Conference. I'm going chalk. The best team, Nashville Predators. Whether we, whether the Western Conference in points, 
I see them going. And I'm going to do my pick for the East right now. I'm going with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, they've won the last two, last two uh, Stanley Cups. They have Cindy Crosby, Guinea Malkin, really good players. And I think they're going to go, and then I think Nashville is going to win it. I think, I think Nashville played Pittsburgh last year in the, in the, in the Stanley Cup. Um, I'm pretty sure it was the Stanley Cup last year. Daniel. Daniel. Yeah. Can I share my prediction? As yeah, they were, in the, they were in the Stanley Cup last year, so I have a repeat of the Stanley Cup, kind of like a Warriors-Cavs type situation. Ask me who I want from the East. Alan, who do you want from the East? <laughs> um, Columbus Blue Jackets. Ooh, Ohio. I was the biggest 2010 Columbus Blue Jackets fan. <laughs> it's very specific. I'm going to throw out names. I don't know if they were on the team. I'm, we're going to check. We're okay. going to check. Go. Tell me if these guys are on the team. Got it. I can't see my laptop. I actually can't, so I'm going to look away. Let's start off with Rick Nash, obviously. Rick Nash was on the team. I, I got some help. I saw RJ Umberger before. Uh, Jason Chimera. Yeah. Manny Malhotra. Let me check. Wait. Okay. Wait. Sorry about this. He was there right around then, if... um. Okay, I'm just looking because no, no this is such a throwback. Oh my god! Anton Strom, yeah. So I'd say more of a 2012. You had check on your team. Uh, is that supposed to mean? He was he, he became really good for the Flyers. Scotty Upshaw, that's a name. Man, this is so. We can throwback. play. We can play our MLB throwback game with NHL because like no. my peak NHL time was like 2004 through 2006. I want to see when I want to see when I follow them. I think when I was in middle school, I used to watch a lot I, of Blue Jackets. I'm gonna throw some names out there. Different different teams. Joe Sakic, love yeah. that guy. Paul Correa, Mike Madano. Mike Madano. Mike Madonna. Stars. That was Stars. I know that stuff. That's a see, name. No, I was more of a 2008 Blue Jackets. Really? Chris. Oh, these Derek names. Derek Broussard. Play for the Rangers. Steve Mason. Nice. Oh, Frederick Modine. Oh, that dude. He was totally on my power play Who squad. Who was the guy? There was this guy who I'm thinking of. Oh, Pavel Datsuk. Remember him? Yeah. The, yeah. Didn't he just retire? I think he just retired. But he's, he's, he's not a young dude. Dude, these names are crazy. Chris Chelios. Remember him? No, I, I, I don't know hockey. Right I'm Lidstrom. Uh, Lidstrom. Yeah, Lidstrom, yeah. Okay. All right, so that was a lot of hockey. For so who, who you, I, have, I think, you, you have you have Columbus winning it all? Yeah, hundred percent. I have Nashville winning it all okay. over Pittsburgh, redeeming themselves for last year. Did I Boom. do a good job? Of you did a great myself job. Together great job. Hockey yeah, it's a great sport. I just never um, right. Cleveland, we don't have a professional team, so right. But shout out to the monsters. Right. So let's talk a little bit of baseball, and then we're going to transition into into our special interview tonight. And right now, I just want to say the Yankees are winning 4-1 against the Red Sox. Last night was a little bit of a rough night for us. We lost 14-1, but, in the, but Stanton hit an RBI triple in the first. And then Let's give him a Stanton ovation. <laughs> Pun intended. And Gary Sanchez just hit a two-run shot. So I'm feeling very happy right now with how things are going. Clapping for Jerry, Gary Sanchez. Jerry Sanchez. Jerry. Our Indians are up 4-0. Our Indians? Our Indians. Yeah. We're looking good. And Bryce Harper's still on track to be a Yankee next year. So things are going pretty well. The Yankees don't have the best record right now, but they'll bounce back. I'm confident. So it's early. It's only 11 games in. And at the same time, the Pittsburgh Pirates are 8-2. Daniel. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for Mike Sosha, okay? But you know when I have a problem? 
What's your when problem? Shohei Otani isn't in the lineup every day. Ooh. Okay, I get it. Whatever. But I want to see him out there. Right. Like Yeah, he, he almost had a perfect game this past Sunday. Unleash him. Right. Unleash the unleash the show must go on. Whoa. Whoa. I think that the coolest I, I think a hot take that isn't such a hot take. Luke Shohei Otani is doing amazing things for the game of baseball. Oh yeah, definitely. I think just the story of him is um, what he brings is just bring a lot of attention. Also, the Yankees, we've talked about uh, having the Bronx Bombers back. Huge mm, for them. Also. Yeah. Okay, so, Alan, just to – I think we should do this every week, but I'm going to ask you who, who, who are the top three teams in baseball right now, standings-wise. And just some of it might be surprising. Los Probably Angeles later. Angels. Nope. They're 9-3, and three, I thought. 9-3 and three is not top three team, according to winning percentage. Let's go with Red Sox. Yep, they're 9-1. and one. Tied for first. Okay. Let's go with San Francisco Giants. Nope. They're five and six. I just saw the Andrew McCutcheon walk. Oh, yeah. That was, that was cool. Walk that was great. Yeah. The, the energy and passion, by the way, on the real. Right. No. Col- They'll be pretty good this Colorado year. Colorado Rapids? Nope. Six and seven. As you can tell, these are, and these, these are NL teams. They're NL teams? Yeah. And they're teams that you, we didn't expect to do well. I got it. I was going to say Padres. Padres are 4-9. I mentioned them in passing like a minute ago. Give me a clue. Say a throwback player from the team. Atlanta Braves. Nope. Great guess, though. That was a great guess. Wait. How far back should I go? Ooh. Um, Oh, here's a good one. Billy Bean. Not the Oakland Athletics. No, Billy Bean player. Drafted. The team that drafted him? I was spacing out for the beginning of Moneyball. <laughs> Let me tell you? Yeah. The Mets. They're 9-1. and one. Shout out to Mickey Calloway, the Mets manager. Yep. Former yep. Indians pitching coach. Great, great guy. He won seven straight. And the other one, East Coast. Custard. What? It's an ice cream shop in oh, Cleveland. Okay. <laughs> East Coast Custard? Yeah. Oh, nice. Shout nice. out to our roots. Yeah. Okay, ready? You got it? Yeah. You haven't gotten it. On the East give Coast. A, give me a clue. Oh, East Coast. Yeah. Pirates. It's in, it's in, yeah, Pirates. Eight and two. Jameson Tyon had a one hitter on Sunday. Nine innings, 10 strikeouts. He's an ace. So, they're a really great team. And I would expect it that we can, as we go, as the weeks progress, that the Yankees will be nearer to, to the top. The Indians will be closer to the top. The, we'll see what the Angels do, but the Astros will be closer to the top. Cubs, Nationals. Indians, prob- I know you mentioned it. Pro- probably the Dodgers, too. So more of the nor- normal the normal crowd. The but what's cool, about the, what's cool about the beginning of the season that like we can talk about some of these teams that maybe won't get so much appreciation later in the year. But right now, we can really give them some attention. So right. That's exciting. Um, that's it for our roundup. We're going to now transition to our interview. It's, um, we're, it's, our, it's our pleasure to welcome George Solomon to the podcast. He's the former sports editor for the Washington Post. He's now a teacher in the sports journalism school at the University of Maryland. Um, enjoy, the, enjoy the interview. And we're back after the break. And uh, now we'd like to start with uh, our first ever special guest. Um, we're really pleased and honored to um, introduce George Solomon. He's the former sports editor for the Washington Post and the uh, former ombudsman. For ESPN. He currently teaches in the journalism school at the University of Maryland. 
and, he's in, he is the director of the Shirley Povich Center for Sports Journalism. He also co-edited All Those Mornings, which is a collection of writings by Shirley Povich, the legendary sports writer. We are very lucky to ha be able to meet with Mr. Solomon today. Thank you for coming. It's really an honor for us. Really it's, appreciate it. It's my honor, guys. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. So, um, let's jump right into it. You've been in the world of sports media for a long time, both with the Washington Post and later with ESPN. What have you seen that has changed and what have you seen that has changed, not, that, not changed that much in the world of sports well, media? Well, to, to begin with, the whole landscape of media as well as sports has changed in that we've, uh, when I first started, it was strictly newspapers, mm -hmm. television and radio. Now it's uh, newspapers, it's online news organizations, it's satellite radio, it's television, it's, uh, you know, every other kind, websites galore, uh, podcasts like your own, and uh, the, the media landscape has changed dramatically, mm -hmm. particularly in the last 10 years. Right. So do you feel that that has, how do you think that has affected the athletes? And how do you think that has affected kind of how a team runs its organization and how an athlete operates? Well, to begin with, yeah. I should have also mentioned the humongous growth of social media. Right. In that uh, uh, some athletes uh, get their news out, you know, on their own social media account. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's something called the Players' Tribune now, right. in which athletes, uh, you know, express their opinions and express their stories uh, through. I mean, it is a ghost writer, but it's it's strictly you know it's their views. And uh, but the whole the whole landscape of media has changed. I mean, like uh, you two guys are doing a podcast. Uh, I don't know how many it's going to re reach. But by the time in another year or two, it's going to be a lot bigger than what you're doing right now. Right. And uh, so, the, you know, anybody could do that. Anybody could write a blog. Anybody could start a podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, it would take you 10 years back in the day uh, to get a radio show and do an interview that you're doing right now. Right. And how do you think the fact that so many things are available instantly how do you think that has impacted the quality of the sports journalism, the articles, the different pieces out there? Well, your question can, can range way beyond sports. It's that uh, uh, there are so many news organizations and so many outlets that you trust uh, the readers, the viewers, the listeners uh, pay attention to the good news organizations and the organizations in which... Uh, facts are, are are verified, and that the so-called fake news is nothing more than a figment of the imagination of people who don't believe in facts. But uh, I think it's extremely important to get your facts straight. It's extremely, extremely important to be accurate in your reporting, and extremely important, and this is really important, to be fair. Mm -hmm. And to not only, you know, treat the, what you're writing about seriously, but to be fair and not come to, you know, not come to the table with preconceived judgments and to have an open mind. Mm -hmm. And uh, like you two guys are just starting your careers, you know, you, you, shouldn't, you, you should be open-minded and want to learn as much as you can whether it's about an interview subject or whether it's anything you're doing 
regarding reporting that you're sharing with a listener, uh, it should be fair and, and intelligent and backed up by facts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think that part of it comes down to where it's, it becomes a race to get the scoop out. Where like you need to tweet tweet it out first, or this media source is fighting with this media source to get the news out first, and that's when you can kind of the lines get blurred a little bit, where you lose that accuracy. But it's up to you. It's up to you two gentlemen who are starting a career whether it's more important to get it out first or to get it out accurately. Definitely. And you have those judgments to make, and uh, the the more you make them that are accurate the better chance you'll have you know to have a, a listening audience and someday actually have jobs that pay you a salary right and uh, but you hope uh that, you know that people uh, listen to you and read you someday uh will, will will recognize you and you know and understand that you're trying to do a fair job mm-hmm. yeah definitely that's that's obviously the goal yeah so um and one more point along these lines it's very interesting that um it seems like people in today's media try to incorporate too many editorial components to the first fact like the first um the instant tweet and i think uh because of the pressure to get everything out so quickly it's all blurred together and um i was wondering in your opinion if there has been a uh, loss of appreciation to a strong editorial piece with uh, that has a strong storyline to it. And a strong it depends message. who's listening. Uh, if you've got a serious person listening or reading, that they expect a, a, a fair assessment of the news, <clears throat> and they expect something that's accurate and smart. And you know, I had a boss once who said, "Let's give the reader." the facts before you give the reader your opinion. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important and it holds true in every aspect of uh, journalism and broadcasting and any other you know means of communication. Great. And yeah. Huh. yeah, and the people that you have worked with throughout your career, unbelievable. Some of the biggest names in the sports world today. And if I'm not mistaken, they actually worked under you at the post. Like um, Tony Kornheiser, Michael Wilbon, John Feinstein. Um, what was it? What's it like watching how their uh, careers have moved forward from where they once started out working with? Well, you? all the people you mentioned had one thing in common: one, they were smart. Uh, they appreciated good writing. They appreciated getting the facts straight. They tried to get the facts first. And they always, they, they, all, all the people you just mentioned appreciated accuracy. And they, and they, for the most part, wanted to be fair and wanted to be the best at what they did. And they were curious. And their curiosity carried them, you know, to great heights. And uh, for that, you know, uh, it's all on them that they did, they did the job. But I also worked for some, you know, great people like Ben Bradley, who demanded that you be good uh, every day. Right. That yeah. was part of the deal. You be good every day, and if you made a mistake, fess up to it and go on from there. Mm-hmm. So honesty and fairness being very important, getting the facts out first. 
not getting in first, getting getting in the facts accurate. out before getting be, before be, you get out your editorial. Be be accurate and be fair right. and be smart and be honest. Right. And, and the emphasis on accuracy is because the role of the journalist is to get the facts out to the people. Correct. And and be be accurate. And if you make a mistake, print a correction or come mm-hmm. on the air and say I made this mistake and be fair with your listeners or your viewers or your readers and be honest definitely how how do you feel you obviously had a very close relationship with Shirley Povich you edited his book what how do you feel that relationship has helped you as as an editor as as a writer as a teacher in in your well life? first of all povich you know he was smart he had a great appreciation for the English language. He had a great appreciation for fairness. Uh, in 1938, uh, seven years before Jackie Robinson appeared uh, with the Brooklyn Dodgers breaking the modern-day color, color barrier in Major League Baseball, Povich uh, went to a ballpark in Orlando, Florida, where the Senators were training and saw a Negro League baseball game and wrote a, a column saying, this is ridiculous that these guys aren't in the major leagues. So he saw things that affected people, and he saw what was right and what was not right, and he felt that uh, a segregated baseball league was not right in this country. And uh, that, you know, that he, his fairness and his appreciation for uh, uh, the uh, English language, and uh, he, he was a real man. And uh, and treated people fairly. Right. Can you elaborate what you mean when you say real man? What do you? He would stand up for what was right and what was wrong. Is that he grew up in an era where this was a very segregated society, mm-hmm. and Washington D.C. Uh, when Shirley grew up here in the twenties and thirties and forties was a segregated city, and he knew that was wrong, and he wrote about it. And, uh, you know, and he tried to change things. And he did. He did change things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why do you think that change was able to occur? What specifically was he able to do successfully? Then? Well, one thing, there's one great story that uh, uh, in 1943, there was a heavyweight championship fight in Washington uh, involving uh, Joe Lewis and Max Baer. And uh, actually, it wasn't Max Bear, it was Buddy Bear's brother. And uh, Povich was coming into Griffith Stadium, which no longer exists. And Sam Lacey, a great uh, sports writer uh, in the day, and you know, wrote columns for the Afro American, which was based in Baltimore, knew Shirley, lived in Washington. And Shirley said to him, um, Let's go down and get our seats at ringside to cover the fight. And Sam Lacey said to Shirley, uh, Shirley, I can't go down with you. The ringside's segregated. They don't let blacks sit at ringside. And Shirley Povich said, uh, we'll fix that. He took Lacey by the arm, walked him down, and uh, awesome. they sat That's together. Great. And that uh, ended segregation uh, in Washington sports wow. among the press. Yeah, it's you know, that one cool. act. It's crazy how so many times change is like those little stories you know it's someone grabbing someone by the arm and taking them ringside That's well amazing. there's a, there's also another great story and this does not involve Shirley it involved 
some New York sports writers. Uh, they were covering a Jackie Robinson spring training game in 1947. And a number of, uh, and Sam Lacey, it was in New Orleans, Sam Lacey was not allowed, who wrote for the Afro-American, was not allowed, or, or Wendell Smith. But, you know, Smith was featured in the movie 42 right. about Robinson. And they were not allowed uh, to go into the press box to cover the game and do their work. So they, they were relegated to the roof of the ballpark. And they sat in the roof, and then a number of white sports writers from New York who were covering the Dodgers, you know, uh, went out on the roof and sat with Lacey rather than being in the press box. Wow. And which I thought was a very classy gesture, mm -hmm. including, uh, you know, a number of, you know, famous sports writers, uh, the primary of which was Dick Young, a, a very famous columnist in the day of the New York Daily News. Wow. It really it reminds me of the uh, Dean Smith story, when he was uh, an assistant coach for North Carolina at the time, in like I think the '60s or the late '50s, where he sat with um, one one of his African American assistant coaches, or no, he sat in a segregated cafe like, with with an African American one of his friends, and like everyone was like, "Whoa, what's he doing?" and he's like. This is what I do, and someone like complimented him about it after, and he said, "Don't compliment me for something that I should be doing anyways." So it's a good story, yeah. and it's uh, you know it's very true. And I think the really interesting thing, and it's becoming even more prevalent with a Twitter or a Players Tribune, is people say, "Sports is sports," a bunch of guys running around, whatever. But you see the impact that sports and athletes when they take a certain stance. The impact that it can have on society and the differences. Well, the great example is uh, the recent uh, protest by the National Football League players uh, in, to what they perceive to be uh, un unjust treatment uh, of the black community. And, you know, the majority of National Football League players are African Americans. So they, they, they made a stand saying this was wrong. Some kneel. Uh, some you know do other things and you know to show their you know their you know being solidarity with you know Colin Kaepernick who started the the, the movement, <laughs> but it, you know you see yeah. that definitely. So um, on a little bit of a lighter note, well, um, you've been around sports for a long time. What is your favorite memory of of sports at a game, a moment, something? Um, Sports makes people feel good, and uh, the, you know the, there was a time in Washington, and it probably permeates today, where what happens away from sports, uh, you know, sort of takes this town down, and right now the mood in Washington is not particularly up because there's so much going on politically. Mm -hmm. But there was a time in the, uh, you know, in the 70s and the 80s where, you know, people were down, you know, the, you know, there was, you know, uh, the economy wasn't very good, you know, we were, you know, there was, you know, a few years prior to that, we were just coming out of the Vietnam right. War. And, uh, <laughs> and I'll never forget this, in 1972, uh, it was the second year of George Allen's coaching tenure at Washington. And the, 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 the Vietnam War was still going on. 
Washington had just lost a baseball team uh, to Texas, and uh, the, the Senators had moved, and people were really down. Nixon was in the middle of Watergate. Nixon uh, was in the middle of you know, a humongous firestorm. And the Redskins won the National Football Conference. Uh, they won it on New Year's Eve, and they won it on a, um, uh, they beat the Dallas Cowboys. And that's the most I've ever seen a stadium literally shake when they won that. They lost the Super Bowl to the undefeated Miami Dolphins that year, <laughs> right. but that one particular game really meant a lot to the city yeah. to, of Washington. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's really cool to see it when like it really affects not just the athletes, but like really the whole town so much, and everyone kind of is lifted up. Well, it happens. That's yeah. what sports does. Yeah, I mean Philadelphia for years, the city of losers, in the span of uh, six weeks, has had two uh, monumental uh, championships with uh, uh, the Eagles and Villanova. Right, and they don't consider themselves losers anymore. Nope. No. <laughs> no, they feel pretty good about themselves. Yeah. It's like uh, your story reminded me of um, you were describing the scene uh, of the NFC Championship game. It reminded me of when the Browns got their one and only win last year to make them one and fifteen on Christmas Eve. The um, or one and fourteen at the time. The I remember watching. I was actually in my year abroad. It was like late at night. Well, let's be accurate. That was two thousand and sixteen. Because right. 2017, you managed to go through the entire season winless. Yeah. So let's be accurate to your listeners. The, the, the thing is, though, like, this is our year. Like, <laughs> right I'm, 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 I'm going to... I said that last year, too, when we didn't win any games, so don't trust me. But Every year is the Browns year for a Browns fan. <laughs> it, it, I want to hear your thoughts on a team like the Browns. How, uh, in your eyes, can a team that's been back in Cleveland since 99, not been able to figure out and get it right? Well, you know, it, it goes in cycles, and it's like the Eagles. The Eagles were pathetic for, you know, 10 years, you know, although Donovan McNabb got them <laughs> yeah. to the championship game several times, but they were terrific this year, a year before they are in last place. That's the great thing about sports. You never know. Now, mm -hmm. I don't think Cleveland will win the Super Bowl, in 2018, mm -hmm. but they might win more than they lose. You never know, yeah. and that's what makes sports fun. Yep. Yeah, and uh, you know, and you know, Washington, Washington now has the longest streak of a city that currently in Major League Baseball that has not won the World Series. The last World Series they won, I believe, was 1924. Wow. You know, and uh, you know, the Cubs had the longest streak. Now wow. it's the with Washington. Mm -hmm. So uh, you, you never know. That's yep. what makes sports fun. Yep. You can have a, a 16 seed beating a 1 seed. And well, look what LeBron did to your city. Yeah. In, it's unbelievable. I, I remember the, um, there's all these great articles about the impact that LeBron has had on the economy uh, after he left Cleveland the first time and came back. Um, and you just see how much one person in the sports world can really have an impact on a city, not only in uh, their fanhood of sports, but their whole lives and their businesses. Well, and look at the baseball team. The baseball team was really good, then they you know, slipped, and now they're good again, and they almost won the World Series, 
and the basketball team is good and the football team isn't any good, but it could be good next year. You never know. Right. Next year's our year. <laughs> you really bring back a city. Um, now, shifting to college sports a little bit, you now work at Maryland. You've, you're around the college basketball landscape. What do you think about this FBI scandal, the, the FBI investigation, and the thoughts on possibly paying college athletes and the idea of amateurism as a whole? Well, as, as you know, um, to be a college athlete now is literally a 40-hour-a-week job. And it's very difficult for college athletes uh, who, who want to take a serious academic load to try to do it and also be a college athlete. That's really tough. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, not so much Maryland because uh, right now, Maryland isn't at the height of its academic prowess. Mm -hmm. So they don't generate as much revenue revenue as, say, Alabama. Right. But if you look at what Alabama generates in revenue, uh, it's enormous. It's like an NFL franchise. And what's their payroll? Uh, minute. So, you know, the, the people, the guys who play for Alabama maybe you're making four or $5,000 a year in stipends, mm. legal under the NCAA. But, you know, that's not enough for what they generate and right. the work they put in. And one would hope that, you know, they also get an education. Right. Yeah. <coughs> uh, it's unbelievable when you watch the NCAA championship game, the production that it is, and to think that these guys aren't getting paid. No, but then what happens is is that uh, a lot of these guys who are really skilled when they get out of high school go to a school for one year, mm-hmm. and we all know they'll you know they'll take classes for for one semester, and the ones who want to go to the NBA after their first year at college, pretty much you know blow off you know school mm-hmm. the second semester, if they go at all. And they go into the you know into the NBA draft, even you know. And what bothers me is um, there are some who go into the NBA draft and never get drafted. Yeah. You know what's going to happen to them? You know they've already blown you know their uh, you know their time to get an education, so they go and might play a year or two in Europe, or they might do this or they might do that. But you know they originally recruited to go to college. They chose, you know, they're really good in basketball, and they chose to, you know, to p- put all their eggs in that one basket, which mm-hmm. is probably a mistake. Right. And, uh, you know, they should probably have become, you know, taken a, a more serious academic view of what they wanted to do. In your eyes, what do you think a fair solution to, um, I'll say the players, but every party involved? Okay, what they should do is, one, they should, you know, the the schools that provide money to athletes uh, shouldn't do it, and the ones who did should be penalized, and then uh, the kids who are good enough, like LeBron James, to go into the NBA after high school should not be forced to go to college for one year, mm-hmm. and you know which is nothing more than a farm system for mm-hmm. the NBA. But if you're good enough to play in the NBA, let them play in the NBA. You know, not waste their time, you know, for hanging around a campus for a year. Right. And I think it's um, 
I, I heard a very good suggestion that uh, college athletes should be compensated similar to the Olympic style, where they aren't necessarily paid to play the sport, but they have the ability to go out and find um, different sponsorship deals and get uh, paid in those areas. What are, <coughs> what are your thoughts on a solution like that? No, I don't, I don't agree with that. I agree with it. if a guy is good enough to go into the pros, go into the pros right mm -hmm. after high school, or go to college, but they should have more compensation uh, to make it through college than they're getting now. Right now, they're not getting enough money uh, to live, maybe to bring their families to watch them play, and, and they ought to have the opportunity to grow academically if, you know, if that's what they want to do. And I think they should, and I think they should be encouraged to do that. Mm -hmm. So you, you're arguing for like an increase of the stipend? Money? Yes, there, there's not enough money for right. the guys. And most of the guys, uh, you know, in football and basketball could use more financial help than they're getting right now. Right. And certainly generate more revenue uh, than they're given credit for. So, would you argue for an increase in stipend across the board for all sports, like volleyball, lacrosse, or just the big ones that earn most of the revenue? I say they should, the, the people who should be compensated more are the athletes that generate the income. Mm -hmm. I think the, uh, the, other, the other athletes who play lacrosse and field hockey and uh, soccer and baseball are terrific and should be awarded scholarships. There's not enough scholarships for those athletes, mm -hmm. by the way. They should be you know, given scholarships. But the revenue should go to the guys who, and women, and women's basketball in many of the schools is, is a big draw. They should get the, the bulk of the revenue. Right. That's a very, very solid point. Um, I, think, I think that's, that's it for okay. the interview. We, you really, guys did, thank you. You guys for, did good. Uh, thank you. Great. Thank okay. you so much. We're back. We hope you enjoyed the interview. We certainly did. It was really great talking to George Solomon. It was really an honor for us. It's just like so cool, especially for me, that so many of the names that we grew up with were worked under George Solomon. Right. It's, it's really, really cool. Uh, Tony Kornheiser, Michael Wilbon, Rachel John Nichols. John Feinstein, when I was like a middle schooler, I wanted to be a sports writer because I, I read his fiction books. And then I started reading his nonfiction books. And he's, he, he's definitely one of my, my favorite writers of all time. And he worked under this guy. He worked it's under. Unbelievable. It's really, really cool. It's a really special experience for us. And we're very appreciative that he, he took from his time to, to speak 100%. with us. 100%. Uh, but now we're going to go into one of our favorite segments. How are you doing it? Horns up time. We both have horns on our heads. Mm. It means that one of us is going to play devil's advocate on a topic that we definitely agree on. So we're not going to tell you what we, what we think until the end. So the question is, should Odell be traded, or I heard today that he's not going to be traded, should Odell have been traded this offseason from the Giants? So um, I'm going to be arguing that he should have been traded, and Alan's arguing that he shouldn't. So uh, I guess I'll get started. Okay. Um, you're arguing he shouldn't be traded? Right, right, right. So I'm going to argue that he should be traded. Okay. Um, I'm a Giants fan. This is hard for me. I'm a big Odell fan. But you got to do it for the pod. Do it for the pod. And... 
I think that he really he brought down the character of the team. You know, we're, we're trying to build in football. You're trying to build something. You're trying to build something that is not. It, it goes beyond like what's right and what's wrong. It's, you're building a character of a, a. You're trying to have a team character of commitment to to winning, to being focused, and to being focused on football. And I think over over the last few years, Odell has gotten away from that. Yes, injuries have injuries have contributed to that. But I think over the last few years. You know, starting with the thing on the boat. I don't want to get into the specifics, but I think he's gotten away from the focusing on football that guys like Landon Collins have, that guys like Eli Manning have, that they've been, they've been singularly focused on football. And I feel like Odell's lost that a little bit as his, as his status has climbed. And I think we could have gotten a lot for him, especially in our current mode of rebuilding. With his high drafts, draft pick, I think we could have gotten some more first-rounders or, or possibly a, 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 another young asset, maybe an offensive lineman for him, where we could have built up again because right now we don't we're not we're not in the place to necessarily contend for a championship but we are in the place where we could use our assets to build up for the future when when it's clear that Odell might not be what we want right now from both a not obviously he's a great football player one of the most talented receivers in the league not denying that but at the same time we have to take into account what he can do for our team at this point what, the, what, what we need, which is more than just Odell, and what kind of attitude he's bringing. Okay. Um, first of all, that was cute, but you're going down. <laughs> all right, let's, let's hear it. Um, so, I think Odell Beckham Jr. should not be traded because you don't trade away a generational talent. He is one of the best wide receivers of all time. And... I say like the eye test, okay? Mm-hmm. When you see that dude on a football field, anyone would do anything. For you him. see it, you see it, right? And and Daniel, I think it's um very important to show your team that the team culture is we stand behind our guys and right. we're gonna work with them. We're gonna channel the energy and the swagger into something productive. I think a team that's been very good at that is Golden State Warriors and Draymond Green. The guy brings the heat, brings the energy, and you see the power that that can have on a locker room um, when it comes to winning and winning in big games. And I think, I just don't, okay, as a Browns fan, you see first round plays don't even always work out, usually not, in my case. Like, you have greatness, so why would you trade for something that might be great? Right. But I'm saying what we know didn't work or hasn't worked. We went to the playoffs two years ago. Where is he a week before the game? On a boat. How did our offense do that game? Didn't do great against the Packers that day. I'm not saying it's connected. I don't want to bring it up again. But at the same time, like, we, we, we've run with this for a little bit. And... You know, Eli's not getting any younger. We need a, we want, we're not in the win-now mode. We're in the win-in-three-years mode. I think that's a whole culture shift then. Like, meaning, if you're taking that approach, why not trade Manning? Because Manning's 36 years old. Right, but I'm saying why not move on from him? Why not move on from Eli and bring in a younger quarterback yeah. to work with Odell? 100%. No, right, no. but but Odell has this great asking price where it'd be possible to get a really big return for it to fill some of the holes that we have, especially offensive line. We can probably maybe get another high pick, pick a good off, like a top offensive lineman. Who knows? Who knows what we could? I don't know what the offers were that are on the table. They were not released. Should we talk to our people or? Should we talk to our people? To try to get to our sources. Yeah. 
I don't know, maybe. I don't know. I don't want to bother. Uh, we're so. looking for sources, so if anyone wants if anyone's to. If anyone's a source, <laughs> we're always looking for something. You always got to be striving <laughs> for something bigger. That's yeah. Not, but also be happy with what you got. Okay. See, we are a philosophy podcast. Yes. Daniel, who, okay. do you think, who do you think won this round? I don't know. It was really hard for me, but I, I think it was really close. Toss up. Toss up. For those listening at home, Alan just tossed up a paper to show that it's a toss up. Um, please vote. Let us know who you thought won. Just, just comment in, in, on Twitter or, or on Facebook to say Shaf won or Shaf won. And then we'll know who you thought won. And for the record, I don't think any of those things I said about Odell was very tough for me. I'm a big Odell fan. He's my guy. I'm with him. I'm with him to the end. So I think you should take that into account when you're voting that like I really have to work for this one. Yes. So just think about it. Daniel Kaiwan. Um A hot take. Ooh. <laughs> hot take. We had a microwave take earlier in the pod, and now a we have a hot take. take. This is like in the pizza oven. It's like full flame is it okay that i go on the record that like this is more of your hot take that's okay but but as a pod we kind of have to like daniel have to, like, you know yeah. what can I, t- can I tell you something i'm getting emotional like yeah i just finished talking about how a team needs to be behind obj even if they don't always you get the point man I'm, yeah i'm here i believe in I this appreciate hot take. that man so here, here's the hot take markel fultz of the Philadelphia 76ers <laughs> will be the first one in, his, in this draft class to win an MVP award. More, for, before Ben Simmons. Before Donovan Mitchell. That's a hot take. That's a, can I tell you, just like, moving on, like, joke within the hot take, all I see is, like, Markel Fultz next year, like, 16, 9, and 5, and like them debating why he's MVP and not LeBron at 30, 10, and 10. <laughs> LeBron's been there too long. He, 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 no. I'm it's not, the same argument every year. Like, Sorry, it's, it's Mark Fultz. Right, right. Mark Fultz this time. There's a reason he was the number one pick. Before whatever happened to his jump shot happened, he was a stud in the, in the waiting, a perennial all star in the making. And now, like, okay, he's been out for a little bit. He had an elbow problem. He had maybe something going on with the jump shot. He's back now. He's playing well. He's producing without having to shoot. I think over the offseason, his shot gets back. He starts working his way up again, starting getting that shot going, starting to work with more things off the dribble, pull-up game. He had one of the best pull-up games in college basketball I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. And Daniel knows a lot about college basketball. I'm also 19 years old, so there hasn't been that long of a time of me watching college basketball. But still... Marco Fultz had one of the most mature offensive games I've seen. He can score in so many ways, and he's a super athlete. I saw one of these highlights, but when he was still out, where he, where he like, was doing this dribble move, and he, like, he flew across the lane for a reverse, like, reverse like double pump dunk. I'm like, where did that come from? He's deceptively, deceptively, like when I dunk. right? It's like when <laughs> Allen dunks, where he just rises up and just you know me in those seven foot baskets. <laughs> right, that's what it's all about. But I, I think this guy has limitless potential. We've just forgotten about it. Because in the sports yeah. world, we live in, it's a world of immediacy. Where it's a world of, it's not what have you done for me in the past, so what have you done for me lately? Right. Thing. Definitely. And Daniel, just to add one thing, we just talked about the eye test with OBJ, right? Mm. And I think it's very important. Like with Fultz, when I watched his first game back, he just has this athleticism to him. Right. Speed, acceleration. You can't deny. Why so are we athleticism? It's a hot take for a reason, but it really could happen. Right. And there's no disrespect to Simmons, Mitchell, 
Frank Nioquina. Which one is it again? Frank Nioquina, right? It's on the N. Yeah, I think it's on the N. The T is silent. So, yeah, no disrespect to any of those guys, but I, I, I think you can't. Or Lonzo Ball. Dennis of Smith Jr. Or Dennis Smith Jr. But I, I think Markel, it's a hot take for a reason, but I think Markel could do it. Amazing. Daniel? Yeah. I think that's it. I think we got to wrap up now. So, I won two. Again, thank Mr. George Solomon for yes. coming on the podcast. What a great experience for myself and Daniel. Mm-hmm, um, and we look forward to hopefully bringing in some special guests in the future. Yeah, and for sure, for sure. Stay tuned. Yeah, and uh, of course, a quick shout out to um, our friends at WMUC Sports and our friends at Anchor for um, allowing us to um, give us this platform. Uh, we really couldn't do it without them. So big shout out to them. And see you next week. Have a good night or afternoon, depending on when you're listening.